Hello, hello, shalom, brothers and sisters. Oh, what an honor to be here with you. We haven't done this one in a while, and I'm so excited to start this live stream and to start doing this more often with you. If you're at all interested in seeing us live stream more often, maybe even potentially on a weekly basis, hey, like this video and tell me in the live chat uh, what you think about that. Um, I'm excited because tonight we're going to be talking about a few really important topics. Um, if you don't know what this is, this is our Q&A. And basically, we take um, questions that were sent in from a lot of you guys, and we are here and we're going to be answering and chatting about them. And it's so interesting because every time I do this, I seem to get questions from many p different people who don't know each other, but yet they're basically asking similar kind of questions. And so tonight we're talking about fake versus real. That's our theme and that's discernment. Um, and we're going to talk about amazing things like uh, our modern day, our modern day deliverance ministries legitimate. How do we test prophetic messages? How to tell people about Jesus who don't seem interested? What denomination do I belong to? Like asking me, we're going to talk about denominations and labels and that sort of stuff. And we're going to talk about confirming the gift of tongues. How do we know it's legit and like we're actually practicing it? Then we're going to talk about the power of worship. And also a question that I think is, I'm saving it for last, and I think it's one of the most important ones. I'm running out of steam in my faith. What should I do? So um, I hope that this is going to be a blessing to you guys. Um, I want to jump right in with you here. Um, let me just check if the stream is right. Yeah, you guys seem all right over there in the chat. So yeah, please um, chat away. I'm going to be looking at the chat now and then and seeing what you guys have to say. All right. So um, the first question, right, uh, we went into it is, is deliverance ministry legit? It was kind of about that. And it's asked by someone who's uh, want to remain anonymous. And they asked if modern day deliverance or healing ministries are legit, why don't we see them going into hospitals and healing everyone? Right. And and I, I'll be honest with you. This is a question that I remember when I started praying for the sick. You know, I just read my Bible and I was like, wow, Lord, you have this amazing gift that we can exercise of laying our hands in the sick and seeing them recover. And I started going out and just just into the streets back in South Africa where I was living and I just started finding people to pray for. And, you know, I started when I started just talking about this with people, a lot of people shut me down and they were like, you know, I heard this before, you know, well, well why don't you just go into the hospitals and clean out the hospitals? You know, why don't you just and, and we actually went to hospitals uh, back there. I often did that. It's a little harder in the US, but in South Africa it's open. We, and we did that and we saw amazing things, man. We saw p patients get healed. Now, not everyone that we pray for gets healed. And that's not supposed to be weird. You know, when people think about the gift of healing, many people in their minds have this idea that, well, Someone with the gift of healing like Peter, right, in our New Testament or Paul, they they had a 100% success rate. People always got healed when they prayed. But it's just not that way. In fact, even Jesus did not heal everyone. He did not go and have the entire Jerusalem be without sickness, disease or anything. There were still people and there are accounts in Scripture where it says specifically that he did not heal some people in that place. You know, uh, for example, you can even think about the Pool of Siloam, which was a place where many people gathered who had infirmities and he only healed one. Think about that. There was there was more people laying there. But he only came and he healed the one. And furthermore, we, we, we do hear him um, healing many leper colonies. But then at the same time, uh, excuse me, healing many lepers. But at the same time, we don't see him healing entire leper colonies. Right. So so we see like that God has a, a sovereign will and it's a 
that's a big topic. We don't have time to unpack tonight. But, you know, there's many examples, like, for example, the, the, the disciples, they wanted to cast out the demon, right? And then the demon didn't leave. And they're like, what's up? And Yeshua says, hey, fast and pray. It's because of your unbelief. So they, whatever the reason, sometimes it's their unbelief, something, sometimes it's external factors. But not everyone in the Bible got healed. More examples I can just think of is Paul, how Paul um, did not, he, he wrote to Timothy saying, Timothy, hey, drink a little wine for your stomach. Well, why didn't Paul just pray his stomach pain away? Or, you know, um, there's also Paul's friend who was sick and Paul is writing saying, hey, please pray for my uh, please, uh, thank you for keeping him in his prayer in your prayers. He almost died. See, people still died in the first century, even though the gift of healing was around. Like people, the gift of healing is not there to give us immortality on this earth. Like, like imagine if we got a hundred percent success rate. Well, today you're sick. I pray for you got healed. Praise God. And tomorrow or the day thereafter or in 10 years, right? Um, you get sick again and eventually you pass away. But it's not about me praying over and over and over and over for you and you just keep being fine and, and you get immortality on earth. I know this sounds crazy, but this is how we sometimes think that it has to always happen. Right. There is a there is a time and there is a place. OK, so um, God, the gift of healing is to bear witness of God's power and love to the world. It's, it's there for us to show people how God loves them, cares for them, um, has them in mind. Right. It's also there to give people a taste of the world to come. A, a wor the world to come is going to be the world where there is no sickness. There is freedom uh, and we will actually live forever there when we are with him face to face, when we are, when we're able to eat of that tree of life. But as for now, we all are in a fallen state. We still are under that that curse that was introduced in the garden that we all all of our flesh will die, but those who are in him will be reborn and will be raised again. All right. So at the same time now, you know, even though we're talking about all of this, I think it's also important for us to bring up the fact that that there are fake healings, you know, and I think people who people like myself who love to teach and talk about spiritual gifts like the gift of healing. Sometimes among those people, there's a lack of acknowledging the fact that there's also charlatans out there and there are people out there who aren't the real thing. And, and I, I welcome the conversation of of the fact that there is issues. You know, there are we see this in the Bible from Simon the Sorcerer. It started there. We just went through that in our Acts series, right? Simon the Sorcerer is like, trying to do things for his own gain. And so similarly today, people today are doing things for their own gain. They're trying to um, build their own kingdoms or some people are just fakes. They're like there's no real miracle. It's just, you know, it, it, or it's sorceries. There's different things behind it, but those things do exist. And there are also, um, may I call it, I don't know if the word is really right, but may I call it fake deliverances. And, and that is simply what I would like to describe as how, you know, I have seen it where demons are manifesting in people like people are in a church. The demons are manifesting. You know, you can see the person is, is just weird. Right. And this demon is coming up and and that's a great opportunity for someone to come up to them and cast out that demon. Amen. But instead, the lack of discernment causes people to not re recognize that it's a demon that's manifesting. And instead of casting it out, they just, yes, God, more God, we thank you, God, because I think it's God. And sometimes it's really not God, if, if you know, and it's, it's actually a demon manifestation right now, but they don't recognize that. So it's important for us to to recognize when a demon is there and to cast it out. Otherwise, it'll stay right. So some people uh, are, are, are really concerned by these things to the point where they turn away from the real thing. Some people are they see they've they've had an experience in a church where there were actual demons manifesting and people weren't casting them out because they didn't have the discernment or whatever for whatever reason. And they're like, oh, I don't want nothing to do with that supernatural kind of stuff. 
or they see um, they see oh they were at a church and the pastor or the, the preacher was one of those who who faked healing testimonies or you know whatever and they re- and it and it comes out right and and they're like oh that's what that stuff is I don't want anything to do with healing I don't want anything to do with God's even if it's uh, I, it's it's weird because I had a bad experience or we had a bad experience with the gift of tongues right we we see misuse abuse uh, disorder uh, whatever and this goes for any spiritual gift and then what happens is we we our heart gets hardened against it right and we 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 actually turn from the real thing and i want to submit to you and i've said this before on this channel but i'm going to say it again that that's exactly what the enemy wants the enemy wants you to be like i don't want anything to do with any of these things instead of okay what i experienced was wrong but god has a beautiful gift that is full of order holiness authority freedom deliverance hallelujah and and in that i want to submit to you we can enter and we can walk that out and yeah there are people who are doing weird stuff and they'll 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 always be there but god is calling a bride out of the systems that is a bride that would walk as Yeshua walked because Yeshua casted our demons, healed the sick. He did all these things. All right. And so I want to also submit to you that just because we don't agree with the motives of why someone is doing what they're doing doesn't necessarily mean that it is not of God what they're doing. Okay. There are some people who do things for selfish gain and you can see it in their eyes, but that does not mean necessarily that God can't work through them. Okay, we need discernment. Um, I want to read this to you. Philippians 1.15. Paul wrote about this. And he said, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, but not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment what then only that in every way whether in pretense or truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice in that i rejoice that he is proclaimed even though they're doing it out of selfish ambition envy and rivalry yes it's a it would be a good thing for them to repent of that envy and rivalry and selfish ambition but i still rejoice that christ is proclaimed and we should still rejoice even if we don't agree with someone in all ways, if they're proclaiming Christ, that's still something worth rejoicing in. And even if we don't agree with their theology, man, like there's a ton of people I don't agree with on theology and there's a ton of people who don't agree with me on theology. Like we are, we all have differences. If we dig deep enough, we'll find those differences. And it's not, it's not necessarily a massive problem, right? <laughs> Depending on what the difference is, of course, but even if you don't agree with someone's theology, um, it doesn't mean that what they're doing can't be of the spirit. It doesn't mean that the miracle can't happen through them. God can do a miracle through someone without perfect theology. Well, what do you know? God has worked through me. He has worked through you. He's worked through many people and none of us have theology figured out. We're all learning. And so humility is really needed, right? So we don't cast the stone at people. Um, Oh, well, I don't agree with how they think about this. Well, that's fine. But God could still use them because you're probably just as imperfect as they are, just in different areas, right? Uh, Paul wrote this, Galatians 3, 5. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So see, it's... It's not by our works of the law, how how righteous we are, how good our theology is, that we are able to be uh, 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 doing these miracles, if you will. It is by faith, like Paul said. And so, brothers and sisters, I think it's very important for us to keep all of that in mind. I also want to say one more thing on this question before we move on. And that is that casting on demons is a mark of the Holy Spirit. And, and what I mean is if a demon is actually being cast out, Yeshua, Jesus, right? He made it really clear to us 
that a demon cannot be cast out by another demon. He said in Mark chapter 3 that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Satan cannot cast out Satan. And if his kingdom is divided against itself, how will it stand? So, um, when someone is casting out a demon, they are doing so by the kingdom of God. And man, it's amazing who God can work through. Let me just say that. You'd be surprised at who God can work through. He's spoken through donkeys before. Maybe he can cast out a demon through someone you don't agree with in every way theologically. I just think we need to keep an open mind with this as well. Uh, and look, uh, there are definitely charlatans out there, people who are who are on the wrong side doing weird things. And then there are people who aren't, but their theology needs refinement. Okay. But I think it's important for us to try and exercise that discernment in this area. And so, you know, there are other things. There's Kundalini spirits. There's false spirits who, who and, and, you know, we need to just judge by the fruit. We need to make sure that it's a spirit that confesses that Christ is Lord. Okay. All right, guys, I, I hope that this question has blessed you and made you think a little bit how we discern these things. I want to move on to prophetic messages. This next question is regarding testing prophetic messages, and it's the following. It's kind of two questions in one. The first part of it is, how do we need to test a prophetic message? Because whenever it leads to repentance and change in our lives, surely it is a message from Yeshua? Question mark. And then if we reject the message, how do we know whether we rejected it because of our own bias to not want to believe it or have it come true? Right. So this question was sent to me about a week ago. And I think that this is such a good question. Like I'm excited because the timing is so perfect. Stay tuned because uh, our next act next week in our act series, uh, we're going to be talking more about the prophetic because we're going to be talking about um, Philip's four prophetic daughters and, and that and that part of the scripture. So stay tuned for more on that. But but for now, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, what we see is that. So first part, how do we test this message uh, if it's from God, right? If it's a prophetic message that God is. So there's there's four things that are paramount. First off, is it biblical? Does the message line up with the Bible? Is it teaching us something different from what the Bible teaches us? Is it leading us away from God's instructions? Is it leading us away from God? Is it, is it, does it have bad false theology? Because look, if it's a prophetic word, the theology has to be like spot on, right? Um, secondly, what is the fruit of the message? Is it, is it producing good fruit in the hearts of people or not? Okay. And then if the message is predictive, if this pr prophetic word is, is about the future, which very often it is, right? That's oftentimes what prophetic messages have is future predictions or if this, then that kind of things, then we need to make sure that that message has accuracy. And now, obviously, you, you can't really figure out the accuracy of a message always the moment it's given because time needs to prove how accurate it is. OK, if it's predictive. And then another thing that is important is that other people who are trustworthy, who have been vetted, if you will, in terms of being prophetically accurate. In other words, we see that the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, when someone gives a prophetic word, it is really ideal for other prophets to come and weigh and, and, and weigh in their spirit the word and then to give what they think about it. This is another layer of just safety. And that's why I think it's important if you feel like you've got a, if you feel like God is moving in the prophetic with you, it's especially as we grow, it's really important for us to run these things by if we feel like we've got a word or something, run it by someone who you trust, run it by someone who who maybe if possible, you know, someone like that who operates in the gift of prophecy. That's really ideal, especially if you want to go public in any way. Um, because you don't want to be going public with something that you have, you're not, you're not sure it's from the Lord, right? We need humility here. Now, the second part of this question I love because um, 
it was asked if we reject a message, how do we know that we we haven't rejected it because of our own bias to not want to believe it? And this is huge because in the in the Torah, right, and prophets, we we see many times how people are uh, prophesying and then the nations they're prophesying to don't want anything to do with this message. They don't believe the message. They kill the prophets. Jesus even alluded to that when he was speaking. And they killed the prophets because they were saying things I didn't agree with. They were saying things I didn't want to be true. They were calling out sin. And so, like, think about John the Baptist. He was a prophet. He was our one of our re- more recent New Testament prophets. And he was ultimately killed for what he was saying, right? So, prophets by nature are usually commissioned by God to say things that are very un people people aren't don't want to hear those things. They're typically not typically they're not like all fluffy words. They're not like, oh you're gonna have your best life now kind of messages and everything's gonna be okay. I mean sometimes God can give well God can give a positive message and God can give an uplifting message. God can say this is I'm gonna bless you. God has certainly done that for me. But I also want to submit to you that God very often through people speaks prophetic messages that aren't easy on the ears and it doesn't tickle ears. And so when we listen to a message that is prophetic, it's really important for us to get rid of our fleshly biases. What you want has got nothing to do with the accuracy of the message. So you need to make sure that you fast and pray and you seek the Father so you can get your flesh out of the way so you can be able to discern more clearly without a bias. And double that, if you will, if you are the one who is going to be prophesying. You see, even if someone is a seasoned person who's been operating the gift of prophecy for a little while, fleshly bias is always a issue. In other words, you can prophesy what you want people to hear. You can prophesy what is popular to say. You can prophesy um, um, easy things. In other words, in fact, many prophetic messages aren't prophetic at all. They're rather predictable predictions from the flesh. And and what I just mean by that is, is, is some messages are... Or like if someone came on and said, oh, hey, guys, I want to tell you that, um, you know, we are going to have many people next year come to faith. This is the prophetic message. And and I want to tell you that, um, you know, we are going to see um, the sky be blue because ultimately we pro- we can pro- people can prophesy things that cannot be really tested. In other words, they say things that we know. Well, yes, people are going to come to faith next year. You don't need a prophet to know that because people have been coming to faith every year since Christ was here. Right. So so the question really is, is how is this is this prophecy at least reasonably specific? Because the prophets of old were at least reasonably specific and they typically had a call to action about, okay, this is what the Lord says, and this is what it means for you, and this is what you do. Either, and it's usually repent, it's prepare in this or that way, there's a famine coming, prepare, or, you know, whatever. There's usually some sort of a call to action, right? Um, So, I'm going to read to you 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything, hold fast to what is good, right? It's like he knew, Paul knew people are going to be despising prophecies. It's kind of like it's nothing new because they are people today, many despise prophecies. And and so I'm not here coming on and saying, hey, guys, um, you need to despise prophecies. I, I, it's the last thing on my, or what I would want to do, uh, what I would want for you to have in your heart. I would want for you to think about prophecy as something that is very welcome in the body. And I think we need more of that. I think God is actually raising people, but their hearts need to be open. And we need to create an environment where we're more open to prophecies, but yet a healthy environment of discernment at the same time, right? 
We need to be encouraging prophecies because we see in the New Testament that there were prophets like everywhere. Like in the early church, you had multiple prophets in a church. That was not a weird thing. Today, it's really hard to find one. So he says, test everything, hold fast to what is good. So for us to test the prophecy, it must be testable. If the prophecy is so vague that it cannot be even be tested because basically it's a whole bunch of things that are, well, they don't really mean a whole lot. That, that's how a lot of I've heard, a lot, not all, but many prophecies are, have been that way. And it's not necessarily then a prophecy. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's not, it's false. And it doesn't mean it's not from God. But, but sometimes we frame things and, and say this is a prophecy. But then we're just basically giving a Bible teaching. We're just re reciting what the Bible already says. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful, beautiful. Um, but a prophecy is what a prophecy is, right? It's something that can be tested. It is not vague. It's reasonably specific. And it is applicable to people, right? And so I think the problem is, is that sometimes people get a word in their prayer time from the Lord. And this word is really from him, but it's not necessarily a word that God wanted them to corporately proclaim. Sometimes God proclaims words that are really just for us. Like God has done that for me. He's given me words that I'm not here to share with you because they're not for you. They're not. A, they're for me. And if I, if we change the audience, it's a big deal, right? Because a word for me is going to be way different for, than a corporate world for America, right? So it's very important for us to not just wonder, is this prophecy from God? But when we're receiving something that we feel we want to share, is it actually for the audience we're sharing it to? Is it for just one church? Is it for a specific church? Is it for a specific or is it for the whole world? Or is it just for me? Who is it for? Um, so with gentleness and humility, we hold fast to what is good after we test, right? And if the prophecy is false, you know, I've heard many people say, uh, oh, PD, you know, if, if the prophecy is false, we, we apply Deuteronomy 13 and we, we cast stones, <laughs> uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, um, I hope, you know, um, they need to be stoned. That's how bad it is if the prophecy is false. Well, Deuteronomy 13 is interesting because it doesn't actually say that. It says something a little different. I want to just read this to you just to clear up a little bit of confusion about this. Deuteronomy 13.1, he says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You see, then he says, then you, then there, this person has to see, see judgment. But this is speaking of a person who is enticing you away to different other false gods, a prophet who's trying to do that. And so, you know, usually we see prophecies that are not coming if they don't come true or if they're you obviously not from God because they fail on whatever account. It's important to test them. And when when it's determined that this prophecy is not from God because of whatever reasons, it's good to make to to recognize that. And whoever pro prophesied this word, you know, we don't need to go and stone them. But, you know, there's a gentleness, a humility and a love that we can still extend, extend towards that person. But we can then recognize, look, this word was not from the Lord. We can come with a correction to them. Look, this was not from the Lord. But then in the future, also, we keep that in mind because their track record is important. If someone is a prophet who has a track record, then that means that whatever they're going to say next is more important. Like we're going to weigh that a little heavier than someone who they don't really have a good track record. You know, in fact, yeah, that's all I'm going to probably say on that for tonight. It's such a big topic. I'm going to go on hours talking about this stuff. I love it, brothers and sisters. I hope this is blessing you. Um, tell me in the chat and comments what you think about this. So, um, like I said, I'm going to talk about more about prophecy in my upcoming video in the Acts series. Um, stay tuned for that one, please. All right. So, let's look at the next question. It's about calling people to repentance in a casual setting. 
Alright, so let's read it. I have an earnest question. How do you preach the kingdom and call people to repentance in a casual setting? I will pray for and meet the needs of stranger, but I long for the understanding of how to tell people who Jesus is while I am showing them. For example, today I fed a man and prayed for a spirit of heaviness to leave in Jesus' name, but he didn't seem open to any actual conversation. This seems to be a theme in my interactions, praying for boldness and for the Holy Spirit to guide me in this process. But I'm also interested to hear your wisdom that you may have on this. Okay, so this is a good question. This was on a YouTube comment. I just pulled it from there. And I think that the the key is, there's a few things I'll say, but first I'll say is look for the person of peace. Look, man, when you go out and you, you, oh, by the way, before I say anything, it's amazing that this, this person, this gentleman or this lady, um, will, or is doing this. Can I just get a hallelujah? Amen. Like, like looking after people, feeding someone and trying to reach them with the gospel, like praise God. I would, I would say, look, we're going to find different kinds of people. When we do this, we're going to find people who are people who are, who are like, I would like to call a person of peace. You're going to find people who are totally like, get away from me. You're going to find people who are like there, but they're not, they're kind of not the person of peace, but they're not kind of rejecting you. They're just kind of in the middle. But when you find the person of peace, you'll know, because this is a person like, let me let me give you a cool example. It happened. I was in a Walmart with another lady and we were looking for someone to pray for. And we're like in the back at the freezers, right? And there's and we're and I'm just walking through the aisles, like, Lord, is there anyone? Just show me, you know. And I'm just walking and, and you know, God doesn't always he's not always like PD, pray for this person. Like, but I'm always just asking him to guide me so that whoever I do decide to pray for is is led by the Lord. And as I'm just praying this, walking through the aisles, there's this lady who's literally wa- walks up to me, starts talking. She says, she just says this. I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. I'm so confused. She's it's so such a surreal experience. I've never had that happen to me before. And I'm like, oh, and she's she looks like a normal lady. And I'm just like, oh, well, can I pray for you? I mean, because that's like what I'm there for. But she doesn't even know. But the Holy Spirit was drawing her. She was a person of peace. And and she's like, yes, please pray for me. Like that was literally like all what she wanted. Right. And so it's not always going to look that way, man. That's like an amazing little story that and that's only probably happened like once to me. Um, but my point's just that when you speak to people, you'll suddenly see this person who's like so interested, so hungry to know uh, about God. And then you'll find that person and then you know you found that person of peace. But at the same time, I also want to say that our even our encounters that we might think of as being unfruitful, <clears throat> they're not there's no such thing. You know, we think, oh, you know, when I get to speak to someone and tell them about Jesus and they throw their hands up in the air and repent, then we're successful, right? Or whatever that you, your standard is. But the Bible teaches something else. Um, you know, I was once, I've told the story before on here, but I'll tell it again shortly. I was once in a mall and there was this man who I went up to ask him, hey, can I pray for you? And he basically said, oh, like, and, he, and he's got this reaction, like, you know, uh, he, and I'm first thinking, oh, man, OK, this guy is not going to be open. And and then he's like, oh, you're like the third person to ask me today. Just pray. And he's kind of frustrated, a little bit of like anger, but he's like so frustrated. He's like, just pray because he's it's, it was so beautiful. And I prayed for him. You see, there was two people before me that came up to this guy that probably got a hard reject, if you will, from him. But if they never got those rejections, if they did, if they were not faithful to go, then that man wouldn't have opened his heart to me. I was just the privileged one to see the, the flower bloom, but the others were there to water. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, 
Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You will be a planter. You'll be one who waters. You will be one who sees the, the fruit, but God gives the growth. So he who plants and he who waters are one, verse 8, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Think about that. God says he will reward us according to our labor, not our growth, not, excuse me, not the growth of the person we're ministering to, not the results that we quote unquote see, but by our labors. That's what God rewards. And he says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So we're all busy building. We're all building people up. You may be the one to lay the foundation. There's nothing there yet. And that person is not going to be open. But you still laid the foundation. You planted the seed. Maybe that person has heard something about Jesus before. So now you're there just watering it. But they're still kind of unsure about it. But three years later, someone else comes and they encounter that person when that flower is blooming. And they tell them about Jesus. And that person falls on their face, repents, and accepts Jesus into their heart. But you, even though it was yours before, had just a big, as big of an impact on their life as that last person who saw the flower bloom, if you will. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So you are not discouraged. Okay. The last thing I'll say on this is that spiritual gifts play an important role in reaching people's hearts. When people have um, closed hearts, there are sometimes situations where you can't reach their heart in any way except by the means of a spiritual gift. Sometimes, you know, I have had, for example, this one man, <clears throat> I just walked up to him because God put on my heart like so heavy that this man has an idea that God has given him, but he doesn't want to do it. And God says, you need to do it. I just woke up to this total stranger and I just told him that. And he's listening to me like kind of skeptical. Okay. 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 And it's, it's crazy because then he, as I turn around and say goodbye, he and his wife, as they're walking away, his wife turns around, glances at me and she's like, <laughs> because the man had a hard heart, but yet she knew, even though the man showed himself to me as not being open or whatever, but she knew that it, this was going to speak to his heart because this was exactly what he needed to hear, to know that there is a God who is concerned about his situations and plans. Amen. 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 So that was called a, what I, when I received that word, that's called a word of knowledge. Getting a knowledge, a word of knowledge about someone that you don't know about something that you quote unquote shouldn't know, just like Yeshua caught that word of knowledge about the Samaritan woman with all her husbands that he wasn't really supposed to know. And it really caught her off guard as well. That's how her heart was reached as well by that word of knowledge Yeshua had. All right, let's move on. So, um, brothers and sisters, I, I, I think that it's very important for us to understand our spiritual gifts. It's important for us to understand that even in our quote unquote unfruitful encounters, we are actually successful. And it's important for us to understand that we should be looking out for that person of peace. And if you have those understandings, man, it gets so encouraging to just go out no matter what you see, because you remember what you're all about and what you're there for. Okay, let's move on to the next question here. And uh, this question is regarding what denomination do you belong to? Okay, this is from Andrew in New Orleans, New Orleans, LA. All right, and his question is regarding terminology. And he says, what would you say are distinctions between the Hebrew Roots Movement, Messianic Judaism, and Prenomian Christianity? Which label, if any, do you identify with? Okay, Andrew, well, thank you for this question. I think it's a beautiful, great question. <clears throat> I will say, though, which well, I had a little bit of a chuckle when I was reading it the first time, because uh, this is one of those questions that if I it's here's the thing with it, I guess, is labels and, you know, denominations and 
these names that we give different circles. It's good in that it allows us to define different circles. It allows us to understand a group of people. That's a pro. But the con is, is that it does define a whole group of people. And we generalize people by these labels easily. And, and what I mean by this is, if I t say Hebrew, a Hebrew roots person to you, and you're listening to me, you're immediately in your mind, you're thinking of a singular type of person. He's like this, 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 and that. If I tell you about a Baptist, you think, oh, a Baptist. Okay, Baptist is a person who's like this, 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 and that. Or what about a Catholic? Oh, a Catholic's like this, 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 and that. And, but the problem is, is that you, even though I will tell you what I think a Catholic is or a Baptist is, there will be Catholics and Baptists who I will describe, but there will be a thousand others that I don't describe and who say, well, I'm actually nothing like that. You know, and that's the problem we face with these labels. Um, and, and I'm not against, let me just say this. I'm not against someone who would like to call themselves something. I'm not a, I, I, I think that they are helpful in certain situations. Okay. But I am talking about this and I am, I am going to bring up a little bit of a, Thing, a few things to think about regarding them here for a second for you. So I'm not going to, for the sake of it, go into what I think Hebrew roots or Messianic Jew or, or and so forth is because there's going to be people who hear me and be like, well, I'm not like that. And so it's not really necessarily helpful. What I think, what I would like to point us all to, to think about is really how, what labels do. And, and that is that people like labels because they allow it allows them to define someone in other words you can say okay this is what a baptist is and that's easy and comfortable however it also restricts us to a box of predetermined beliefs that we are judging someone else by or that they are judging us by um, and if we're going to be judging someone if, if i'm going to be judged by a label by someone who doesn't know me personally. If I, if the, all they know about me is that I am a, let's just say for the sake of this argument, I'm not a Catholic, but let's just say it. Um, for the sake of the argument, all they know is they, oh, PD is a Catholic. What are they going to, they, then they're going to judge me based off that. Or if PD is a Baptist or PD is a Messianic Jew or PD is a whatever, that's what they judge me by. But do I want to be judged by what they think those labels mean to them? Or do I want to be judged in their mind because it's all about my witness. It's all about how I can be a light to them. So I don't want my light to go out before I even got a shot at this, right? Or do I want them to judge me first and foremostly by how Yeshua would define himself? If Yeshua was here and if he, the man of Yeshua's, well, he is here. Hallelujah. But if he was here and I could interview him face to face on this live stream right now, he would and I would ask him, so Yeshua, who are you coming back as? Are you coming back as a Baptist? Are you coming back as a Catholic? Are you coming back as a Hebrew rooter? Are you coming back as a Messianic Jew? Are you coming back as who are you coming back as Yeshua? You know, he's going to say, Petey, I already have told you who I am coming back as. I'm coming back as the way, the truth, and the life. And the, you can come to the Father through no other door, no other gate except through me. So now what does that leave me? How do I define myself? If that's how Yeshua defines himself, I define myself personally, because that's what the question was. I define myself as his disciple. So if someone asks me, who are you? I'm a disciple of Christ. That's what I that's what I'd like to identify with because they will be like, oh, OK, what do you mean by that? Well, I believe what a disciple of Christ would believe that I should be imitating him in every way, because you see, here's the deal with generalizing here. So forgive me, but here's the thing with many denominations. Is that they try to well, what they do is they focus on a certain part of Yeshua. Charismatics focus on spiritual gifts. Baptists focus on the Reformation and many of the elements therein. Right? And so forth. Everyone focuses on something. And that's great. 
but sometimes that focus comes at the cost of something else and balance is lost while Yeshua is balance. He is the perfect all-encompassing theology, the one we ought to follow. And so if you could follow Yeshua in every way without picking and choosing, you will be able to follow him as being his disciple. So I want to submit to you that there are many Christians out there who call themselves Christians, but there are few people who are actually disciples. Who, You know, I remember one day I stood up in a, uh, or excuse me, I, I was in a Bible study and someone stood up and said, well, I'm not a disciple. You know, what you're talking about, because I was talking about things that the disciples were doing, what you are talking about is for Yeshua's disciples. And see, in that moment, I realized she sees herself as a Hebrew rooter and she doesn't see herself as a disciple. Now, you may say, I see myself as a disciple, but do you see as yourself, do you see yourself as a disciple first and, and then a, whatever else you can classify yourself as? Or do you see yourself as a Baptist and then a disciple? Because many people do that without realizing it because they compare themselves constantly to people in their congregation as to see how well they're doing. And as we're doing that, you're not comparing yourself to Christ anymore. Because see, I can arrive. Here's the deal. I can arrive as being the perfect ba old Baptist boy. I can arrive as being the, the a really good charismatic boy or whatever else. I can arrive to be a really good charismatic uh, or Catholic if I tried hard enough. Because I'm comparing myself to the standards of men. Because these are all man-made labels and denominations. But if I compare myself to Yeshua to be his disciple, first and foremost, the whole time, I will never arrive. I will always be growing. I will always have room for growth. And I will not be making excuses as to what part of Yeshua I'm not going to be walking out. Because Yeshua casts out demons. Do I cast out demons? Yeshua healed the sick. Do I heal the sick? Yeshua exercised spiritual gifts. Do I? But Yeshua also kept the Sabbath with his disciples. Do I do that? Yeshua taught loving or you should love your neighbor and have fruits of the spirit. Do I do that? Do you Yeshua depended and believed the, in the supernatural power of the spirit? Do I depend and believe and have faith in that? He had such balance. He had holiness, balance, and he had the spirit balance. And that's something that I haven't, to be honest, been able to really find in any denomination because you can't find it in a denomination because they're all man made at the end of the day. You can only find that in Yeshua himself. And I would I in my personal opinion, just me. Hey, I'm not against anyone who wants to call themselves whatever, but just me. I like to just keep my eyes on Yeshua and I want to always be looking to him and comparing myself to him and not to men. OK, or a denomination or a code of a denomination or anything like that. OK, so. I hope that helps you guys out. I know I didn't fully answer the question, but um, I hope I, I answered it adequately for you guys. Right. So we're going to we're doing all right on time. I'm going to going through the few more here. Um, so I'm going to be talking about the next one here. This is from Hannibal in Stockholm, and he's an awesome brother. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this one with you guys here. So he asked the following about the gift of tongues. I've been earnestly seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit and especially the gift of tongues because the enemy has tried to rob me of that gift because of past experiences that were negative. Well, man, praise God that you're not letting those past experiences that were negative keep you back from what God has for you. That's the first thing I want to just say, because too many people do. And I'm going to read on. He says, recently I've started having, for lack of a better word, utterances pop in my mind and I've started to speak them out in prayer, choosing to open my mouth in faith and push aside my fleshly thoughts. My question is, I've been asking the father for confirmation if this is a gift from him or not. Is it wrong to ask for a crystal clear confirmation? Sort of like Gideon with the fleas. Okay, so I have a little bit of a story to this. I 
I don't think it's wrong to ask for a confirmation. Personally, I remember when I spoke in tongues the first time, my experience was quite interesting. I just prayed in my room one day, didn't know anything about the gift of tongues, never practiced it, never, I was not in a charismatic church, okay? I wasn't in the circle of those things. So this was extremely weird. I didn't even really know what that was, okay? And I'm in my room, I'm praying to God in English and well, probably Afrikaans because I'm Afrikaans home language. <laughs> uh, and as I'm praying in my native language, I I hear the spirit, just the father's still small voice saying to me, open your mouth and speak. And I'm thinking, well, I'm speaking like I've been praying. Like, what, What's going on? No, open your mouth and speak. And I open my mouth and I, I'm like, OK, in faith, I speak. And I start opening my mouth and speaking. And out of my mouth comes something else that I have never spoken before, a different language. And and for an hour straight, I'm just speaking because I feel the Holy Spirit come upon me. I experience him. And look, it's not about experiences, right? But I'm just saying, like, that's what happened. Um, and uh, just, just praying for like an hour straight in tongues. It was like amazing. And after that, I was like, what happened? I'm, I'm kind of confused. And I and I go to my fellowship and I have a friend there. And I ask him, hey, brother, I don't know what happened. Like, I had this weird experience. I was praying and this happened. What is it? Would you know? What? And he's like, bro, I think you spoke in tongues. And he opened the Bible and he showed me, look, it's in the Bible. I'm like, what? I didn't even know that. Right. And then I studied it up. and I'm like, oh, my, it's here. Like, wow, God. But but see, I still had that doubt. I still had that. Well, what if I just made it up? Because guess what? Everyone I've ever met who's speaking in tongues has had that doubt. And everyone I've ever met has had a doubt about praying for people to get healed. Everyone has had a doubt about receiving words of knowledge. Everyone has had doubts about receiving a word of prophecy. Everyone has fleshly thoughts and doubts about any spiritual gift. It's part of it because our flesh is in our way. So it's normal, first off. Just because you have a doubt doesn't mean anything. It, it's normal. So I have this doubt, but here's the deal. Hannibal, this is what I want to tell you. This doubt that I had was kind of like a little bit of uncertainty that I had, right? <clears throat> but that did not stop me from continuing to do what I have been doing. And what you're explaining to me, what the little bit I'm reading here, it sounds really like the spirit is trying to speak through you. And what is important is that you exercise it in faith. And it is in the exercising of faith that you will receive the confirmations and grow more confident in the gift. What I mean by that is this. Think about healing. You go out and you pray for people. How do you get more confident in that gift? By doing it. You're not going to grow comfortable in the gift of healing by sitting down and doing nothing. I'm telling you. Same with this gift of tongues. Now, I personally had this little bit of a doubt in me, but I continued exercising the gift regularly. I continued pressing in and I started realizing that, wow, I receive visions sometimes when I've done that. I started start realizing that in my spirit, I feel edified. I started real. And then one day I was faced with a demon. Someone had a demon manifested and I grew my, uh, let me just say that there was a lot of demons and there was a bunch of people with demons and we cast out a lot of demons for like a long time. And as that happened, my voice started going away. My English started failing me and I started just speaking in tongues because that's all I had energy left to do because the mind kind of shuts down. The spirit is more fruitful in that speech. And so spoken tongues and I realized that the demons even submit to that. In fact, that they, they submitted arguably even stronger. And at that point, I realized that this gift is so much more. It's and it's powerful. And I realized that, I mean, today I have no more doubts. Uh, I've, I haven't had doubts in a long time, but those doubts disappeared because I exercised the gift and I didn't stop. So, man, let me just say having doubts, that's all right. It's normal. Your flesh will do that to you, but just keep going at it. And I believe in time. As you do it, you will see the Father showing you little confirmations. Can God give you a dream and say, Hannibal, this is uh, this is from me? <laughs> yes, he can do that. But ultimately, I think what God wants us to do above that is to believe what the word says. Because you're if you're if the gift of tongues that you are doing is 
a language that no one understands but God understands for you're speaking mysteries in the spirit. That's what how Paul describes it. And if this word is edifying you, it's building you up, which is something you'll see over time. It's, it's you're feeling more strong in your spirit, built up in your spirit. Uh, then that is from God. Those are two of the things that Paul describes. And the third thing he says is the mind is unfruitful and the spirit prays. Right. So and, and at least the manifestation of the gift of tongues that is not requiring an interpretation, but the personal prayer language, that's what that's the things that Paul describes that as being. I know there's a whole bunch of other stuff about tongues that we can talk about, brothers and sisters. I have a speaking tongue series on my channel. Go search and check it out. There you'll find two parts and I go into every verse about tongues and we talk about it. So please go into that if you're interested more in the gift of tongues. If you're looking at me being like PD, what are you talking about? Don't you know about Acts 2? Don't you know it's supposed to be in a native language? Yes, I do. And yes, it's supposed to be that. But there's more to it than that, brothers and sisters. So go check out that Speaking in Tongues series on Rise and Fire's YouTube channel. Okay. So uh, let's, uh, how are you guys doing in the chat? I hope this is blessing you guys. Um, I think we have time for one or two more. Um, so I'm going to talk about this one because this one's a quick one. This is also from Hannibal and he, he asked, I took two from him because he had good questions. His second question was, Shalom Petey and Christina. I'm a believer that's currently not attending a local congregation. And I feel in my spirit that worship or praise is a part of my walk that I've been neglecting. Could you please elaborate a bit on the power of worship? How we enter into Yah's presence through worship and praise and how to praise the Father, Spirit and Truth through music, singing and dance. May Yah bless you and keep you. Shalom. Right. <clears throat> so if we are in a place where we struggle, you know, many people I recognize many of you listening to this. You don't have a local congregation. Um, I just last week, I think we had an email from someone who was like on an island. He was like the only believer or something like crazy. Wow. And, you know, there are people out there who really aren't able to find fellowship. And it's it's this is a real question, right? How do we worship? Worship is so important, guys, like so important. Like, you know, honestly, without worship and praise, your 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 spiritual walk will lack. You will lack. In fact, what I would suggest is even if you're in a congregation, you need to be listening to what I'm about to say. If if we are praying, we need to make sure we merge these things. I think that let me just say about talk about myself for a second. Turning on music, worshiping God and at the same time, you know, worshiping him and then being on my face in prayer, praying in tongues, praying in English, praising God, um, speaking to him, thanking him, uh, and, and even just being there, like letting worship music play and just being there. You know what? Many of us think, oh, I need to do something when I'm when I'm when I'm intimate with the Lord, when I'm taking time for him. You know, even just you being there and being like, God, I don't know what to say, but I'm just here. I just want to let you know I'm here, Lord. I'm just here. Just you can speak to my heart. You don't need to, Lord, but I'm here. Lord, have your way in me. You know, you, you can you can even come to him and be like, Lord, I'm not going to ask you for anything tonight. I just want to be in your presence. Like that's so beautiful. And the Lord really desires that with us. And so praise and worship is not some singular thing for me. For me, it's all one incorporated part of my walk. And I think that you need to every day set aside time to praise and worship God. And I'm talking about, you know, Man, you can tell me I don't have time, PD. I'm like, man, you're on Facebook. You can, you know, if you're listening to this, you can be like, man, PD, I don't have time for, I have kids. I have all of these things. That's fine. But my sister is like, we, we spend so much time on like scrolling our life on Facebook and TikTok and Reddit and, and, or watching TV or, or whatever else we like to do at night or when the day is over, we can set aside time for him. Okay. And, if you don't, you will see your prayer life, your worship life and your spiritual life just start running out of steam. So, um, man, put on some worship music, sing to him 
um, dance to him, and, and, and ideally do this in private. You can do that. It's important to do this corporately if, if at all possible with other believers like in a church or something. But it's very important to do this in private as well. Just you and the Lord go into somewhere where there's no one else and just be with him a little bit. Okay, spend time with him there. So every day you need to set aside, intentionally set aside time for that. If you, and if you've never done that before, man, you need to start because your life is about to change. All right. So this leads me to my the last question I want to talk about tonight, and it's very related, and it's titled "Running Out of Steam," uh, sent in anonymously from someone in England, and he said, "How do I keep going when I feel like I've run out of spiritual steam?" Okay, so I think it's a very good question, and I think there's many of you guys listening to this tonight that I feel are feeling the same. Like, hey man, PD, I just feel like I. I've been running out of steam, like I've been going and going, but now it's like I was on far and I feel like I'm losing my first love, you know, and that's a, that's something that I don't want us to fall into because, man, like I don't want to lose my lampstand, right? Yeshua in Revelation prophesied and said, repent from losing your first love, lest I remove your lampstand from you, okay? You don't want him to take your light and give it to someone else and use someone else, take your He's given you a calling. He's given you a, a destiny, if you will. He's given you something amazing and you need to nurture it. And if we feel like we're running out of steam, I, I might, I'll have a few questions for anyone who feels like that listening tonight. And that is evaluate your intimacy with God. First off, how much time are you actually spending on your face before him? How much time are you spending worshiping? How much time are you spending dancing before him? How much time are you are you just repenting before him? And when that stops, you will run out of steam. It may take a little, it may take a little while, but that will happen over time. Second thing, extinguish sin from your life. What is that thing that's been keeping you back in bondage? It's time to stop it. It's time to shut it down, man. It's time to 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 really put your foot down on that and say, Lord, put your hands up in the air and say, Lord, you need to deliver me. Ultimately, you can't deliver yourself, right? Lord, you need to deliver me. And that takes us back to step one of intimacy with him. Okay. And then I would say find fellowship on locally because it's really great for us to fellowship with one another. We can keep each other accountable. We can grow. And um, if you aren't able to find fellowship locally, try and find someone online. These days, there are even online fellowships that you can join. Uh, try and join a video call or something with people online. That would be very edifying to you as well. And so all of this will ultimately lead to you finding your purpose in God's kingdom. Being with other believers is really important. If I think about how I found my purpose in God's kingdom, it all of the puzzle pieces start falling into place when I was surrounded by other believers who God used to help um, speak into my life, give me a prophetic word, um, give me direction, or even just so I can be a serving them and growing in that area, um, so I can be ultimately be growing myself. Right. So, um, brothers and sisters, I I believe that on that note that there are many of you. I feel in my spirit. There are many of you tonight who feel like this that you want to take your faith to the next level, and there's some of you feeling like you're, you're growing cold. You're feeling like you're you're feel like you're about to fall away even though you'll never deny him it's like man like i i feel dead and cold inside and i feel like he's he's, he's even left me you may feel maybe you're in a sin and you feel guilt shame condemnation man come on god is not out to get you he's not out to condemn you and send you away adam and eve went to hide in the bushes when they sinned but god came walking through the garden looking for them think about that he came run he came through the garden where are you he knew where they were, but he's coming and he's looking for them because he has not rejected them like the Satan tried to make them feel like. And so he's walking to the garden through right now and he's calling your name. Will you return to me? Because I'm not holding this against you. He died on the cross to make you clean, man. So will you return to him? Because he's waiting right there in that prayer closet. He's waiting right there. So, Father, I pray for everyone listening to this, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would come and meet them in their prayer closets, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would set them alight and make them, put them on fire where they felt cold. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would not remove our lampstands from us, Lord, but help us to be a light to the nations. Lord, I pray, Lord, for every person who's got doubts, uncertainties. I pray for revelation on 
on, on how we have discernment on prophecy. I pray for revelation, Lord, for us all on, on discernment on movings of the spirit of all kinds, Lord. And I pray that you would use us to you to reach others, not be demotivated when things look like they're going not perfectly. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the the, the spiritual eyes, Lord to see your glory in the midst of darkness, to see your glory in the midst of suffering and to be the light that people need in this world, especially in a time like this. So thank you guys for sticking through and being with me here tonight. If this live stream has blessed you, let me know if you would like us to do this more often. If what do you think? Tell me what you would like to see in live streams going forward. Tell me what um, you thought about the topics we are speaking about here. I love to chat and engage with you guys. Um, so subscribe to this channel for more like this, like this video. It really helps up the YouTube algorithm and share it with your friends. And uh, I'll see you guys in the next video. Many, many blessings and shalom.